The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with Fee Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Hi, Mike Gibson and a team come to you virtually from TCT 2020. It's our last wrap up here on day four, and I'm joined by a superstar team of Mama's Mamas, Roxana Marin and Ajay Curtinay. Exciting day today, guys. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Several things presented today in the late breakers, a lot of different stent trials. Uh, What did all of you think of the host Polytech ACS? 3,500 patients, lots of different stents. Roxana, what did you take away from it? I think, you know, this was an acute coronary syndrome patient population. We have to congratulate these uh, incredible uh, investigators to uh, really evaluate biodegradable versus a uh, durable polymer uh, stents. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they didn't show any kind of a benefit amongst the biodegradable um, polymer. Um, You know, it was really a basket full of different kinds of stents. So, it, it, you know, they're not all created equal. We know that there are differences, but at the end of the day, I think it just shows you that if you have a really good durable polymer that has been previously shown to, to be um, safe, it's, it's difficult to beat the stent thrombosis numbers and the safety numbers. And I think in the, at the end of the day, it looked as if that they both, um, perform well and the biodegradable polymers don't have an uh, added benefit compared to a durable polymer. Speaking of polymers, there is the COBRA reduce, you know, high bleeding risk patients. What did you think, Ajay? To just be sake of full disclosure, Roxanne and I are on the steering committee of the trial, but I, I would say that what's interesting with this stent platform is that for super high bleeding risk patients, um, we've tried to minimize the amount of DAP that we have to give patients. And what this study tried to do is to determine that 14 days was the stent safe um, with stopping DAP. And it did appear to be safe. Um, Unfortunately, it did not um, either meet or beat its comparator group, which was DES treated with a more conventional duration of dual antipototherapy. The only thing I would say though, is that there are, it's a moving bar because right now we have DES that are approved with a month duration of dual antiplatelet therapy. And for many, many individuals, that's going to be sufficient. There are some super, super high risk bleeding patients for whom even a month may be too long. And that may be a niche uh, for this type of stent platform. Certainly those people weren't randomized in this trial because you had to be able to be randomized to the control arm, which would take up to three months of DAP. So I think that, you know, it's a moving target for sure. I would love to get below a month with uh, a DES. That would be great. Uh, But we certainly aren't there yet. I'm just happy with one month of, of do want to therapy with current generation DES, which would suffice for most patients. Mike, I wanted to just add, uh, and again, uh, full disclosure being on the steering committee of this trial, I just think it's really hard to study this population of patients on oral anticoagulants, which is what was the population that was being studied. And everything that Ajay said is exactly right on. But remember that this trial was being conducted around the time that all these new recommendations were coming out regarding oral anticoagulation and what to do with your dual antiplatelet regimen or single antiplatelet regimen. So I think we have to sort of think about this in that context. And 
Uh, I hope that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here because I think, I still think if there is a possibility to have a shorter duration, it would be great. But obviously, um, hopefully this company will work on a drug elution because the ischemia driven revascularizations were what, what was different here. I mean, the other thing, let's not forget, is that there are now moves towards using drug-eluting balloons as well. I mean, there are a number of trials coming out in this population where, you know, premature discontinuation of that wouldn't be such a worry. Mm -hmm. The other thing with the uh, COBRA-reduced trial is that the investigators didn't present their uh, use of um, intravascular imaging, and of course that might impact on the um, ischemic rates that were reported. Well, speaking of balloons, when Ajay and Mamas were in high school, I was doing conventional balloon angioplasty and there's this balloon called the ACE and the probe, they both had just a little wire on the end of them. When you couldn't cross with anything else, you got the ACE out. Now we have a stent, the svelte stent, uh, a stent on a very low profile balloon with a little wire on the end, tested out in the optimized trial. Uh, what did you guys think? Mamas, what did you think of the results? I mean, from a conceptual perspective, I, I'm not sure about the utility of such a device. I mean, I, I've used it. And I, we used this about three or four years ago when it came to the UK. Um, and, you know, one of the golden rules of angioplasty is don't lose your wire position. And yet, you know, you deploy this stent, you have to take everything out and you don't have wire position. And very much the move is towards uh, prepare your lesions and optimize your lesions. And when you don't have wire in place, that's challenging. I think to me, the interesting aspect of this trial were the endpoints, and we can discuss about the procedural MI aspects. Well, more of a device for a guy like me who's a, a direct stenting guy. Ajay, is there a need for this kind of device in 2020? Well, I thought I convinced you oh, out of direct stenting, and we're going to do imaging, we're going to do pre-dill, we're going to prep properly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still yeah. working. Actually, I was talking to Dwayne Pinto. He said he's been working too, and it's kind of like the two-hit model of mutations. You need multiple yeah. strikes. Yeah, I got but, a lot um, of hitting me, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I think that, look, I, I'm intrigued by having new tools. I just, I'm not sure where I would use it with the current generation of DES and also especially the advantage of um, guide extensions, which has been really, I mean, I, you don't hear me say game-changing or revolutionary, but that really oh, yeah. has changed the practice of PCI. I have to say, since I uh, have been an interventional cardiologist, it is one of the biggest advances uh, I think I've seen is, is having guide extensions, definitely. I mean, there's hardly yeah. any, there's very few lesions, I mean, that you can't cross now uh, and get a stent into with, with yeah, guide so extensions. So my feeling is that it, it may have some, some indication there. Uh, Dean Kerak has mentioned that the stent itself, the platform itself, um, may have other uses. It comes in a monorail version, I believe, as well. So um, I think that's, that's, uh, that's good. Let's not forget, though, the trial did miss its primary endpoint. Um, there were reanalyses done. And I think for me, the, besides the technology and the fact that it would be cool to have it, the biggest take home from this, and this is not just this trial, this comes on a series of other trials, is that just routine ascertainment of biomarkers, and in this case, troponins, which were rated as MIs if they were just above the upper limit of normal, just throws so much noise into the picture that it becomes hard to discern differences between devices with that much noise that's not impacted by the device choice. Well, Ajay, particularly when you're using as a comparator, historical comparator trials that use CKMB, I mean, that's like saying, we're gonna compare these apples to these oranges uh, five years ago. That just makes no sense. So the regulatory science has to evolve, which brings me to 
the late breaking science today. And what I thought was really, really important was all the debate about periprocedural MI, which is exactly what you're getting at, Ajay. And uh, we really have a lot of work to do in defining periprocedural MI. Roxana, you paid close attention to the session. Tell us what you learned. I mean, I think, you know, it's really hard when you're, you're starting to, I think when you're designing studies, we are now in interventional cardiology reaching in the two, three, four thousand because the numbers of events on those hard endpoints have really, really come down. The spontaneous MI rates are really small. Stem thrombosis is under one percent in, in the you know, and uh, so and if you just count death MI, CVH, it's really like you're basically in in a couple of percentiles, and um, and so if you're not you know, and, and, and the reason I think uh, it's been going on in this way, and I'm seeing, uh, I see some of the pharma trials. I mean, I, I'm looking at the, you know, the Atlantic, Atlantic trial, for example, they basically took all of the MIs, you know, and, and I think it's, uh, we do need to get a little bit more closer attention to the MIs that matter. I know that, um, that, you personally and all of us, we no, nobody wants an enzyme elevation, but I'm not so sure what it really means when it doesn't have a clinical implication. We know that there is a threshold value for which there is an important uh, prognostic uh, impact of a periprocedural myocardial infarction, especially when there's something happening in the procedure and that should absolutely be counted. But any troponin elevation, that becomes really crazy. You know, I think one of the things that people, there are two things I'd make really quick is that the FDA is really interested in safety. They wanna make sure that a device does not have an adverse safety profile. And I think that's one of the reasons why they'd like to see routine enzyme ascertainments because you might not pick up things if you don't actually look. The challenge that we have now is that we don't ever measure these in clinical practice if there's no sequelae and we often send people home at six hours. So you're trying to, you know, make an artificial clinical process that doesn't exa actually exist. The second thing is that many people who design clinical trials know that if you have a higher event rate, typically sample size goes down. The problem is, is if your endpoint that's introduced to raise the event rate is just noise and is not differentially impacted by the treatment you're studying, actually it has the reverse effect and your sample size necessary to show a difference goes up. And I think that's a really important point that people don't often understand, even if they understand the concept of increasing event rates, lower sample size. And let's not forget the vast majority of periprocedural MIs in this study, they went home the following day. Um, and in my view, you know, to, to have a, a, an endpoint that's relevant is one that has a prognostic impact and a small troponin rise of, you know, three, four greater than the upper limits of normal. You know, it's just, it's just not relevant. Well, it may be relevant, but we just don't have, it may be relevant, but at a modest rate. I, I think we have some studies from Duke and others that show in very, very large sample sizes, yes, there is an uptick in mortality, but it's not, uh, it's modest. So it would have a modest impact, I guess. And then also there was, uh, I thought some hot stuff on the mitral clip in STEMI. Uh, Roxana, you really like this one. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, this one was very interesting. It was, you know, and we all know that when a STEMI is complicated by mitral regurgitation um, and torrential mitral regurgitation, we're sending these patients um, to the operating room and they don't do very well. This is a, something we get, we get very worried about, especially when there's papillary muscle 
uh, rupture or, or dysfunction. And in here, they, what they did is, um, is perform mitral clip on patients with mitral regurgitation complicated by a STEMI. Uh, you know, and um, really they got pretty good results uh, given that these are really high risk patients. And so I was, I was, uh, I was impressed with, uh, with this uh, study overall. Marmos, what do you think? I mean, it was impressive, but it was a highly selective population. I mean, a 10% mortality in those with cardiogenic shock undergoing these procedures, you know, it implies to me it's incredibly um, selective, but you know, in the in the selected patients in which the procedure was undertaken, the results were good, and it's interesting. Andre, yeah, I think the paradigm for me at least has changed in the sense that we typically do involve the surgeons, but we call the the structural team as well. And you know, sick patient with acute MR with a STEMI, the surgeons really don't want to operate on these patients. If they want to, I think it's reasonable, but the mortality is so high that if it's clippable. Um, by a good team, then we often default to that approach first. And um, I think this kind of parallels the outcomes that many that have done this have, have, have seen, but it's nice to see it amalgamated with a larger series of patients. So it's not just this one-off thing that people talk about and then they do. And that's important for everything we're talking about. We're not making recommendations for any of this stuff. We're just sort of analyzing the data and giving our opinions. The same thing is true with the DAP. We're not saying people should get two weeks or a month of DAP. We're saying these are what the data showed among the patients who were, who were treated. Some additional uh, structural heart data today from partners, the valve and valve data with some longer term follow-up. Roxana, what do you think there? You know, five-year follow-up of valve and valve. Um, I was struck by this huge mortality in these patients at five years. Over 50% of these patients are, are uh, dead. Uh, so these are pretty high-risk patients, but the uh, for those who remained alive, I was impressed that the hemodynamics seemed to to stay uh, quite uh, quite good, and that the durability of the valve uh, in valve was quite good in those uh, who were still alive. So it was quite um, it was quite a, you know incredible uh, work by the investigators to follow everyone out to five years, and I think. For sure, um, we need more and more evidence in this patient population and with different kinds of valves because, you know, as we're watching, understanding the um, valve orifice when you're going in with the balloon expandable versus a, a, um, a self-expanding valve, the, the kinds of hemodynamics that you might get in a valve in valve would be very interesting to evaluate down the line with different valve um, platforms. Ajay, any thoughts? No, I just want to commend um, the investigators not only for presenting longer-term follow-up data, but also extending follow-up for some of these patients um, that are in the valve trials, because it seems like such an amazing technology when you look at the shorter-term outcomes, but we need to understand more the natural history of these patients and how they respond to the therapies we administer. And that really should be the paradigm for what we do in device trials, because it so often falls by the wayside to follow these people for longer. I mean, to me, the most impressive thing was that there are five-year outcomes are very similar to the native intermediate risk patients, you know, almost identical stroke rates to almost identical uh, mortality rates in these patients. So you know, it's really interesting to see that actually these valve and valve patients have relatively good outcomes, you could say. Mm -hmm. All right. So to close up, let's ask everyone, what did you think was the most important contribution in terms of trials or late-breaking science from this meeting? Mamas, what, what was it for you? 
Uh, it's difficult. I mean, for me, I thought the most interesting, one of the interesting things was around um, the, um, probably this whole discussion around myocardial infarction. I think that's really quite important. I think Roxana's trial was very important as well. The largest HBR trial um, to date, three and a half thousand patients. Um, it helps us think about optimal antiplatelet duration in these high bleeding risk patients, you know, some really great data in this population. Rox, Roxana, what did you think? Look, I mean, I think, first of all, we were thrilled that in this very, very difficult year with COVID, that the investigators worked really, really hard, as did the coordinators for all of these trials to bring the trials to a complete to the finish line, and as well as data coordinating centers that worked around the clock to actually bring science to TCT. So as a whole, obviously, we're just so thrilled to see some of these important studies uh, come. I mean, look, we learned a lot about physiology during this meeting, understanding, and, and what was wonderful is um, imaging and physiology was very, very important in this meeting. And we saw that our, 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 um, uh, our live cases were also very much centered around optimizing your, your efforts. And I think this is what Ajay showed everyone on that first day. We learned about the vulnerable plaque on that first day, and then we moved on to the HBR patients. And today was a big HBR session. And, uh, and I think we also were uh, very lucky to see some of the first uh, trials on stent versus um, valve versus valve studies. And that's not happened before. We were on the, um, on the structural side, we, are, we learned a lot. Uh, and I think that it tells us that uh, our field continues to thrive on working in the questions we need to answer and we continue to be driven by evidence-based medicine. And of course, um, we, uh, we look forward to the more and more uh, of the trials coming to TCT, but I was impressed by so, the, the diverse inclusion of so many trials. Now tomorrow, we have a whole day and sessions around endovascular. To be very honest, I was absolutely blown away with some of those trials um, with longer term follow-ups on the paclitaxel eluding balloons, yeah. as well as the Voyager, um, some of the, some of the sub-analyses from the largest Voyager study. So there is just a, it's been a potpourri of the most interesting. And for me, it's been great to actually start to see some new data and to, talk about new things and TCT is always refreshing in that way. Ajay, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with what Roxana said. For me, um, just the ability to talk about new things um, that was different from not just COVID, but the day-to-day. The -day. So it's been so tough for everybody because it's like the same week every week and many of us are used to um, interacting with colleagues and collaborating and that sort of thing has gone away. And so just to be able to do that, even in a virtual sense, was incredible. And I just want to thank everybody for submitting trials and getting things done under deadlines that were hard to do because of COVID. Um, so for us, that, that was really great. The endovascular sessions tomorrow are going to be uh, also really great. And it's something that uh, Sahil Parikh in particular has worked very, very hard to 
um, get at TCT and we feel pretty proud of what's gonna be presented tomorrow. Um, the one other thing I just wanted to make sure people know also there's a special fellow session, two fellow sessions um, that are case reviews. That'll be two hour case reviews. We've actually posted the stems of the cases. So what we're gonna be presenting uh, um, online already at medshare.com. And you can look at what we're gonna present and then there'll be an open panel discussion with chatting from fellows. And we hope uh, to bring across some basic educational points because I really feel that in this year, they have probably suffered more than any of the rest of us in terms of this knowledge gap and teaching gap. So that's gonna be great. There are also some other lectures and sponsored sessions around that. But overall, I know this is our last wrap up. I just wanna thank everybody um, for just tuning in. We've had so many wonderful direct messages and texts from people saying, that this actually made a difference to them and uh, in, in a great way. I was only hoping for a little bit, but in a great way for many people. And for that, it just is really heartwarming. And, and all the kudos goes to the CRF staff who did such a great job under duress to be able to get this done. So thanks everybody. Absolutely. And you know, Ajay, I felt a little bit like I was back in the nineties when there was so much excitement, a lot of it surrounding physiology uh, and imaging, you know, it felt like we were really, un, un, you know, evaluating the underlying biology here more, which I thought was really great to kind of, not just this and that device, but the physiology was so great to see. For me, uh, I know you, you guys are going to laugh maybe, but I thought prospect uh, was quite important for me because it really said when you put the constituents of the wall in the model, the plaque volume, uh, and when you put in the plaque constituency, the amount of lipid, now you can play a lot with multivariate models, but it beat out the minimal lumen area. So we fixed lumens, but what this said to me is there's a lot going on in the wall. And, you know, I don't know, I'm hopeful, you know, uh, we'll continue to learn more about the wall and that we'll have some therapies that focus on the wall, you know, rather than just on the lumen. Of course, you know, the lumen the is quite important. What's that? We're missing the Nears wall today. I know. Mama's yeah, just figured it out. Stop it. Stop Stop the, stop the presses. Let's, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, there are some great technologies where you were going to put some, you know, phytochemicals into the wall and then laser ablate the wall and get rid of diffuse plaques. So we're working on a trial that's going to help the wall. Well, we hope. We're working on, on efflux. And yeah, we're working on cholesterol efflux. Yeah. You know, trying to... That's going to help the wall, right? You're vacuuming that's... the wall, aren't you? Yeah, that's why I want to work on the wall. You know, we focus on the whole of the donut. I'm trying to work on the donut. So it was good to see some work on the donut. It was good to see some some good old physiology of blood flow. You know, I thought it was all great. But well, you got to th think in interventional cardiology. Too many people think with their hands. And I, this meeting was a little bit more about not just the hands, but the brain and how you right. assess what's going on. Right. Yeah. Archaeology interesting in the world as well as President Trump. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I got to say it was great. The virtual thing was great, but you know, you just don't have the hallway conversations and yeah. um, I miss all my friends. I, I miss you guys. It's great seeing you virtually I give you big virtual hugs. But it's just, <laughs> Is this, is this not the same? It's not the same. It's not the same as giving Roxanne a great big hug, you know? So, you know, hopefully we'll be back face-to-face -face soon, but uh, I really got to compliment uh, you, Ajay, um, Juan, Marty, the entire CRF team for a great virtual meeting this year. 
I mean, TCT is known as an international meeting. I just feel this year with the virtual format, we've just had so many more international faculty that have been able to get involved um, than would have been able, you know, economically or to have time off work to actually fly to the US. So, you know, I think the, the team have done an absolutely fantastic job in really making this an even more global meeting than it has been in the past. It's amazing. Thanks. We do feel bad. We do feel bad, though. There, there is a lot of loyal faculty who've been part of TCT for a long time who, because we had to truncate the sessions, couldn't necessarily contribute. And we did send notes to them, a note to all of them, but we sincerely feel it because it's, it's, this is a global effort. It's a world effort, and it's not an effort of a few people because if it's only a few people, then it, 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 it dies. Whereas I think if it's a world effort, then it continues to thrive. I mean, we really miss them, don't we? I mean, we had to we had to come to a a a, a, a shortened version of TCT that would be manageable in this terrible, terrible situation that everyone is going through. But yet, we'd be able to educate everyone, and so we had to kind of. We usually have fourteen hundred faculty. We were down to four hundred plus faculty. That. That was a huge, huge loss for many of us, not having those thousand voices heard. And we want, you know, we know that they're loyal to us and that we will work very, very closely with them and include them in multitudes of other um, uh, venues as we go forward throughout the year. And we look forward to absolutely having them be very present next year. Hopefully we can be in person next year. We can only pray. And the social media team have done a fantastic job. So 64 people have been tweeting all the time. I mean, I think they've really brought the meeting alive and really helped in um, knowledge dissemination. I mean, I've been so impressed by the amount of time that people have just been on, you know, engaging, tweeting. It's been incredible. So thank you to all the team as well. What about this TCTMD team, uh, Mike? Yeah. Uh, don't you oh, love yeah. them? I mean, they are just... Amazing. Not only the reporting has been incredible. Oh, yeah, always. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie yes. is uh, such an incredible leader. Um, and we've been so lucky. And of course, Shelly and her team yes. uh, reporting, um, but reporting on everything in a very transparent way. Uh, yes. way, um, whether it's, uh, they're, they're really, we, we don't, you know, we, CRF doesn't have any influence on what our reporters do. The reporters are extremely free and they do such great work. And, and I love that, that they are fierce and they, they get to the bottom of the, of the story uh, and um, they're extremely transparent. So that's been a great, great way. But you, Mike, well, very you, Mike, thank you, Mike, for, for yeah. your incredible, incredible, you bring us all together. Uh, you're such a leader. And uh, thank you for not only uh, tweeting about TCT, your beautiful artwork, especially today, and also your, uh, your wonderful, wonderful updates on what's going on in the health of America. So thank you for everything that you do every day. Well, I also want to give a shout out again to Shelley. I do, I do think Shelley Wood is probably one of the best uh, medical journalists out there. We're lucky to have her in cardiovascular disease, uh, but she's very, very, very talented, very good. And um, I also think this was a great, great first step into the virtual side of things. Uh, Ajay, I hope in years to come, even if we are face-to-face -face again, we can still bring all the content 
virtually to everyone around the world. But for those of us who can make it and you know want to do the face-to-face -face, uh, kind of interactions that we all love so much, we can do that. So hopefully there'll be something for everybody in the future. I think this is a great step to, to make that hybrid model happen, right? Couldn't agree more. Um, and Stephanie and the team has already been thinking about it. We've done it in the years past too. Like unlike other meetings that restrict, you know, pictures and that sort of thing, we've right. not done that, as you know. Um, so we can only go up and we'll learn a lot from this as well going forward. But thanks to everybody once again. And I'm so, you know, your nears infrared painting. Where did it go, mamas? I mean, I was so inspired by that. I mean, I was just thinking <laughs> it about- It turned into a cappuccino. Drawing, the, wall, the wall is your next painting. I need to paint you something for your wall. I mean, that's too monochromatic there. You need some more color again. Yeah. That's your next painting subject, the wall. All right, well, guys, it's all just so great. My favorite thing is always my time I spend with you guys and, uh, you know, love all of you. Thanks for joining us, Mamas. And uh, thanks to everybody for joining us here, at least virtually, from TCT 2020.